Welcome to the UCC Show. Our email address is uccinfo at ingrammicro.com and follow us on Twitter at ingrammicroinc. Welcome everyone to the next episode or latest episode of the UCC Show with Ingram Micro. Today I have Paul Hannett from Jabra. He is the president and GM of Jabra US. So I'm very excited to have him on the show. Uh, thanks for joining us, Paul. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, of course. Um, as usual with these things, there's an unusual number of Englishmen that get onto these shows of mine. I don't know why it is. I think it's fate. Uh, people can then pretend that they can work out which part of the country our accents are from. Uh, as many people will already know, I'm a Londoner who's been everywhere else. But you're not a Londoner, are you, Paul? Tell us a bit about your background. Oh, God, no, I'm not from London, and um, I'm very thankful I'm not from London. I'm from Manchester, which, of course, is the uh, centre of the British Empire. And, um, yeah, I've spent most of my life not in Manchester. So uh, I'm from Manchester, uh, which means, of course, I'm a Manchester City supporter rather than a Manchester United supporter. And it also means uh, um, I have this incredible affinity back to the place that I haven't lived in in, I don't know, 25 years or so. But, no, I hail from Manchester. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I work in, um, I work in Lowell, Massachusetts, in, in the Boston area. And um, despite my uh, mid-Georgia accent, uh, I have lived in the U.S. Uh, on and off now for about 11 years, maybe a little bit longer than that, and uh, have had various roles here. Now, speaking of roles, right, you're fairly new to Jabra, uh, eight months or so. So tell us about where you came from, right? People often want to know, you know, where, where people's backgrounds are. And before you go any further, I want to also say very rarely for an Englishman, you speak fluent German. I do, indeed, yeah. Uh, that's because I lived and worked there. I went to university there. And um, and I think the story behind that is I wasn't very good at anything else at school but German, so <laughs> ended up doing a German degree. Um, but my background, um, I, um, yeah, I left uh, university with my German degree and I was going to go and be a German teacher. I was surprised there and decided that wasn't a very good idea. So I got into the world of... Uh, communications um, in the very, very late 80s, so what's that, 26 years ago, I suppose, 27 years, my goodness, 27 years ago, um, in the cell phone field, um, just by complete chance because I wasn't going to be a teacher anymore, and uh, built a career around the communication space uh, generally. Uh, my career is really two very big chunks. I was 10 years at a company called Worldcom, which most people will know as the company that um, grew faster in the re-regulating comms market than any other carrier, if you like, uh, before it uh, had lots of financial irregularities and um, ended um, uh, not well. Um, I was there for 10 years and um, ran the European sales force, um, ran the global accounts for a while, spent some time here in the US with Worldcom as well in the global accounts program. After that, I spent 10 years with, at the time was um, a small startup um, cell phone company called Sony Ericsson. Um, one of my um, bosses at uh, WorldCom took me to Sony Ericsson because they were building a business. So I was there for 10 years and saw it change from being a small business to a big business, from black and white screens to color screens to feature phones to smartphones and, and then 
big platforms like Android and iOS. So I was there for 10 years. After that, I spent some time at BlackBerry um, and came to Jabra seven or eight months ago via Jawbone, which is a company I knew very well and was very fond of. And um, I wanted to get back into the into a smaller, more startup kind of business. Anyway, I was asked to come and work at, um, at Jabra about seven or eight months ago. And having worked 10 years at Sony Ericsson, which was essentially a Scandinavian business, despite the Sony name, it ended up being Sony Mobile Communications, but its headquarters were still in Sweden. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I found I knew a lot of people around the Jabra business. So um, whilst I initially had no intentions of moving from Jawbone, excuse me, and my, a combination of knowing a ton of people on the board of Jabra, some of the consultants to um, Jabra's board, um, to a lot of the people within the Jabra business, and uh, they convinced me to join what is a really great business um, last October. And uh, been here seven months, eight months, whatever that is now, and having a great time. Interesting. Now, a lot of our listeners are going to know who Jabra is because you're a pretty well-known name, but you do the company has a range of things that I knew nothing about. I was talking to one of your PR folks recently, and um, you do all sorts of things that I had no idea about. Do you want to give us a sort of an overview as to what Jabra is about? Yeah, I mean, we have actually, interestingly, uh, whilst we're a Danish company that's 100. 30 some years old, I mean, uh, or even older, I think 1869-ish or something was when we were founded. As a lot of these Scandinavian businesses were, as uh, basically uh, uh, one side of a cable system, a telecoms cable system, um, that was starting to connect the world in the late 19th century, um, in this case, between Denmark and Asia. Um, so it grew from uh, as a technical comms business, like a lot of these Scandinavian businesses did, developed over the years to be in a real, I suppose the best word for it is an amplification business, right? Where we, we sell amplification devices. Um, we have American brands actually within our business on the hearing aid side, and that's probably where you were, you, you were alluding to. Uh, we have two really world-class brands um, with our Resound and Belltone businesses, both are actually originally American brands. And they're really high-quality hearing aids um, with, you know, world-class te- technology con- connectivities to things like Android and iPhone uh, for the first time. So we have, at the medical end of the spectrum, we have high-quality amplification devices, hearing aids. We also make, through our autometrics business, we make the measurement devices for amplification devices. So we know um, that we're designing uh, devices that work brilliantly well, and we have that business too. Uh, and then we have um, the business we're here to talk about today, which is the professional headset business and speaker business, um, primarily for the UC field, which, of course, also is all about amplification devices. How do we make life sound better? How do we take sound and make it um, uh, improve the quality of your life? And then uh, also we have, in, again, the same kind of field, we have a business which sells um, headsets um, uh, for, uh, for for the consumer. So you'll see those devices in places like Walmart and Best Buy and Target and Amazon and usual places. Um, so we go from really clinical grade, world-class um, hearing aids all the way through to 
uh, in-ear headsets which will um, measure your heart rate and help you in your training regime in the gym, um, all the way through um, um, professional headsets as well. So it's a very, very interesting, very successful business, most of which nobody has ever heard of. Yeah, and, and are you in charge of all of that, or do you do you bifurcate it and split it into smaller sections? Yeah, we bifurcate it, and I, I have the um, I have the what we call CCNO business. The CCNO business is contact center and office, which encompasses the UC space, and um, is a very large part of our business, certainly on the on the headset side. Okay, now it's interesting that UC is. Um, it's funny. I, I've talked to a lot of people about it. One, because it's my day job. And secondly, because this podcast is called The UCC Show. So I kind of get to talk to people about UCC. And everyone I talk to defines UCC as to what they make or what the, the direction at which they're going in. It, it's interesting to me that it constantly evolves. You guys seem to be concentrating on it a lot more now than you have in the past. I'm kind of interested to know what your thoughts are on that market and why now are you concentrating in this space? Yeah, so here's the thing, Simon. It's a really, really good question. Uh, when, when, when you join a new business, you, you ask around, is the brand good? Are the products any good? Um, are the people any good? Do we have a good reputation? Is the quality not, you know, the returns are good and all the rest of it. So once you've gone through that, you go, okay, sounds like the kind of place I'd like to work at. And then you go, and they are massively involved in this UC space. And I thought, I had no idea what that is. Right? Um, and so I, I did some investigations, but I really don't know what it is. So I went on the internet and I looked and, and then realized, I read all the definitions and then I realized I still had no idea what it was. So when I, so when I started here in, on October 5th or whenever it was, I thought, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to make like I know what this UC stuff is. Um, but I was also the new guy, so I was allowed to ask uh, dumb questions. So I, I asked dumb questions around this so I could piece together what I thought it was me. And I'm new at this, so uh, I'm going to give you a newbie's view of what I think UCC is. What I think it is, is collaboration platforms that help us in our work life and our private life and the the, the colliding of those two lives do lots of things at once really efficiently. I'm speaking to you on a video link. I have uh, a UC-compatible uh, speakerphone um, um, plugged into my, into my device, um, and we can share notes if we want. We can IM if we want. We can do a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. So um, it's voice, it's video, it's information sharing and editing its analysis it's whatever we want to do all at the same time now that really means it ends up being platforms like skype for business and zoom and jabber and spark and and go to meeting whatever they all are these platforms but you know it really means in, in our private lives we, we kind of do you see anywhere i've got um a daughter who uh, is just graduating university in the UK, and we Skyped with her on Sunday, I think it was, for two or three hours. She just moved into a new place. And whilst we were doing it, she's IMing with people about arranging for the graduation celebration and hotel rooms. She's booking 
um, on different platforms. She was booking, uh, I don't know, rooms and dinners and stuff. And I, it occurred to me that's, you know, in our private life, we were in some kind of UC forum here, right? Because, um, and she would show us things on the screen and we would share and read with her and she would manipulate things on the screen. It's no different. It's the ability, I think, to do multitasking in a collaborative fashion all at once. I think that's an interesting statement. I mean, you and I are of a similar vintage as we were discussing before the recording started today. And um, but young at heart, if not necessarily, I should, I should say so, yeah. Chron- chronologically, but it's interesting that I suspect you and I lived in a world when we were kids that the the phone was in the hallway uh, because the hallway was cold and it made you have very short phone calls. And after and, six pm as well, yeah. And after six pm, and you had a party line and all those things. Oh yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is that now the kids don't even use the phone. I mean, they use it in an entirely different way. They either use it for different applications or they're texting or they're doing all of these things simultaneously. It seems to me that the consumer space, particularly by the young, is driving the business. And that's a fundamental change around in the way that business used to go. It used to be that whatever business adopted, consumers would take later. But now it's the other way around. Yeah, I I think that's why I'm excited to be in the space as well. Let me give you another example of what I think this is. So I was recently a, a customer stroke supplier building and I had to get on a call with my boss. So I asked them politely whether we could push our meeting an hour and they could give me a private room to work in, which they do. So they actually showed me into the boardroom. And the boardroom came with this incredible infrastructure of screens and built-in this and that and the other. And um, they very kindly said, and if you would like to make a call, they had a star phone on the desk. They said, if you'd like to make a call, you press nine for an outside line. And I looked at them, and I was genuinely confused. And I was thinking, and I'm an old guy, right? You know, we are a similar vintage, right? And I'm thinking, why did he just show me a telephone? And why did he tell me to dial nine for an outside line? I have no idea what that has got to do with my ability to communicate with my boss and a bunch of other people on a collaborative session, right? <laughs> So I said, that's very kind, but I really have no idea why I would use that. Can you give me some kind of secure Wi-Fi password? He said, yes, I can. I plugged in my Speed 510, my Java Speed 510, into my PC. I um, I, I, I fired up a, a Skype for Business uh, session, and away I went. And that's in somebody's conference room. But that was the old world and the new world coming together for me. Right? It was one of those examples of... I, and I was confused because I, you know, I, I've, I've bought into this. I drink this Kool-Aid. I cannot imagine a way of working that's not like the way we're doing it now, right? And that was it. It made me smile after. It made me giggle a little bit and thinking, maybe I'm not as old as I thought I was because that confused me. The guy showed me a phone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting that I have a desk phone at, at my home office and I never answer it. I mean, if it's someone important, I might ring them back. But the whole idea of someone effectively turning up in my desk and saying, I need to speak to you right now, which is what a phone call is, is kind of obtrusive. So, absolutely. So come back to where you were on this consumer thing, right? Come back to that example of my daughter and, and us doing a million things at once and in that setting. So if we look at the millennial population, which apparently, according to recent 
um, stuff that I've read is about to be the biggest bit of the American society, right? Very soon. And if I said to a millennial, um, all right, um, this is your work desk, and there's a four and a half pound lump of plastic on the top, and the, you know, in the, in the right hand corner, and all it does is makes phone calls. They would look at you sideways and say, I have no idea why that's on my desk. Right? So, it, and, and I think that's the, the difference between the old world, because kids coming out of school now, of college now, will not need a big lump of plastic on their desk that will only make and receive phone calls. They've got a mobile phone in their, in, in, in their pocket. They'll have uh, headsets uh, of different descriptions for different use cases, whether it's the over-the-ear stuff you're wearing now for noise cancellation and privacy, or whether it's more of a professional headset that they can work in an increasingly open office in, or something in the ear with noise cancelling um, and UC capabilities. Um, that they can use on the underground train or they can use on the bus on the way to work and continue to use when they're at work. It's, that's how dramatically this world's changing. And for me, those are the things that you see is now, right? That's, that's what this is all about. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a client recently about hot desking and the whole idea of having a phone on a desk that has a number. Well, that's plainly that makes no sense at all in a hot desking world. Now, you guys... Um, you did it yourselves, didn't you? you? You changed the way that you do this stuff in the last year or so. Do you want to talk about that? Because there's always some pitfalls as well as opportunities in those things. What happened? Well, so I think um, the American expression to this is we decided if we were going to be big in the UC space, then we needed to eat our own dog food. And, um, but we decided to do this not last year. When I was speaking to Carl, who's our, um, our PR guy, I said, when actually did we do this? Because... When I arrived here in October last year, the, whichever office I go to around the world, there's not a single phone on the desk. The best you're going to get in a conference room is a speaker, um, the, the speaker phone for 15 people that I'm speaking to you on now. Um, that plugs into my Skype for Business client and is completely manageable from my Skype for Business client. Um, so I said, when did we do it? And he said, actually, we did it several years ago. And we did it... Um, you know, I want to say 2009, 2010, and they went from, I think, uh, the predecessor of Link before it came Skype to Business was UCS. Or OCS. OCS. OCS, there you go. Um, um, and so we did it. And apparently there was resistance, even though we're a headset manufacturer, and people like plugging their headset into this one big plastic device that all it did was make and receive phone calls. But very quickly, that went away. And it gave us the flexibility to work wherever. I'm speaking to my office, but not from my desk, from another another table in my office. And if I had a phone with a number on either of these tables, it would have been, first of all, costly exercise to double up everything we have. And secondly, um, would have been a clunky and kludgy solution to, to sort this out. Right? So I can, I can move in this office uh, you, you and I spoke from my home on on, uh, on Monday when we had exactly the same setup. Um, you could have spoken to me earlier this morning from my hotel hotel room when I would have had exactly the same setup. We would have had all of this collaboration tools, and I would have been wearing a headset or had a plug-in UC speaker or a Bluetooth uh, UC speaker. It doesn't matter where we are. So we did do it many years ago. It's 
unthinkable around these parts, around these Jabra parts, wherever we are in the world, that somebody would would think of using a phone, right? It, we, we just, we're just not that. It's too monodimensional. The world has changed. It's changed in as much as mobility, which is a key word here. Now, mobility could mean I just walk out of my office with this setup and put it on the desk outside, right, and do the same from there. Okay, but it could mean that I go over to the hotel room, I could be in an airport lounge, I could be anywhere doing this. And the functionality doesn't change. It makes us extremely um, flexible. What that has meant for Jabra is apparently in the first year we made a million dollars of savings. Nice. Which, um, you know, which <laughs> is better a million dollars in our pocket than somebody else's pocket. So, um, first of all, that was a good, uh, a good thing, but it's better than that because it changed the way this business worked forever. And it's my view that because of experiences like this, and also because the next generation of people coming into work have a different view of life than the, the people of mine and your vintage, right? they're not going to expect to see massive, great, single-use endpoints. They're going to want this. You know, in this ADHD world we live in, right? You know, we're, we're all... I'll give you an example. How many times have you been on a meeting with somebody uh, where you're having a presentation shared um, and you flip between that presentation and you're listening to, uh, to, to the audio and you're IMing a, a, a colleague at the same time um, and then you will do a group IM to ask a question on the side of the major presentation, and then you'll flip to your email, and because that's what life's like. But right? just so all my clients know this, Paul, I never IM other people in the room to complain about the quality of the speaker who's presently presenting, because that would be disrespectful. <laughs> I first, but I have heard that others have done such things in the past, and I can certainly see it's a useful, a useful use case scenario. Yeah. All right. No, but it's, um, you, you know what you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. I mean, it, it's it's natural to. In fact, the whole idea that you wouldn't do it is kind of ridiculous. Now, um, it makes perfect sense. It makes it, perfect sense. You know, it's not ridiculous now, right? Because um, the multitasking, the collaborative, the collaborative nature of a UC platform um, is something that even you know the adoption rate is surprisingly slow. Right, you know, it's, it's seen. It, you you have to do it the Jabra way, which is to say, you're gonna stop working in a single-use fashion like we used to. You're gonna collaborate in everything you do. You're gonna use a UC platform of your choice, whatever it is. You're gonna use world-class audio endpoints, um, headset speakerphones, whatever they are. Um, if you don't make that choice quickly and assertively as a business. You're going to have hybrid solutions all over the place, and you're going to have people with devices they don't need for longer than is necessary. And I'm surprised how slow, because for me, this is a liberating experience. Yeah. This, this whole UC area is liberating. I am so much more productive than I ever was. I cannot imagine going back. But, you know, damn. But, you know, is a, an old CEO of mine once said, he said, Sometimes you've just got to pull the plaster off or the Band-Aid for the folks in the school who aren't uh, English. There's that sense of you can't – if you ease it off slowly, it hurts like hell. 
So just rip it off and start again. And patently, you did that some years ago, and it appears to have worked well. Yeah. Now let, let's move. On, let's move on to a slightly different topic because um, I'm not an expert on Jabra's distribution and reseller strategy. Right. I have never been either of those things. So, but I do know that it's changed a little bit over the last year or so, and it's something that you guys wanted to talk about. So. Talk to me about it. What is your strategy these days? This is, after all, an Ingram micro event, so you're obviously a big partner of Ingram's. Yeah, we're good partners of Ingram's, and uh, we enjoy the partnership we have. I think it's mutually very, very beneficial. That's It certainly is from our side, and that's what I get told from the leadership over uh, Ingram micro as well. So we're, we're, we're very good partners. What's the distribution strategy? Well, we need great distribution partners who have specialisms in the UC space. I want to be I want to be widely distributed, but I want to be distributed with the right partners. I want people to to be as passionate about distributing and finding partners to distribute my solutions as I am about selling them myself. So that means people like Ingram are great partners because, hey, they are, they've, they've got to scale, right? I mean, if, if ever there was an 800-pound gorilla in a space, it's Ingram in the distribution space. And I have many, many years of experience with them from other companies as well. Um and uh, I've always had a really top-class relationship with these guys. And the reason is because if there's a market to be attacked, they go and do it properly. What that means is they, they, they build the best sales forces. They equip them, equip them with the best um, technical advice. Um, they will do that with their partners downstream. They will make sure that everybody's supported along the way because um, distribution for us is really important if the distributor sells the solution and just doesn't, it's easy to commoditize something like a headset, right? However, the whole um, strength or weakness that uh, the success or failure of a UC rollout can be ultimately the quality of the audio endpoint. So we need to be involved throughout that process all the way to the end user, and we need great distribution partners who are really serious about this space and about understanding it. And so from a reseller point of view, right, obviously people like Ingram uh, resell to end users through their reseller community. Have you got a template or a type of reseller that you say, these guys are super successful with this technology? Well, yeah, I mean, um, it's, again, you know, I'm relatively new to this, but what I've learned over my time is there are, you know, three or four buckets of, of partners. There's... Um, I'll start with the oldish, uh, most traditional one, which is the headset specialist. There are reseller companies that work with Ingram and, and other distributors whose business it is to sell headsets into the call center and office of the UC space. Um, and they are still very significant and they are still very important because they have a generation of, of expertise. Uh, increasingly, we're seeing a really... Um, uh, a real growth in what we call a DMR space, um, digital marketing, uh, direct marketing uh, reseller space. So CDW zones, SHI, etc. Those kind of, uh, of companies. Who um, this was a real learning for me as well because what they've done is taken the solution cell, whether it's in the UC space, so from the infrastructure to the clients to the audio endpoints and every and the. Uh, the setup and the management and uh, 
of, of the whole space. And largely, they do it with the with the biggest government and and, and uh, the the biggest corporate entities. Largely, they'll do it over the funnel, which I which I find absolutely fascinating. But what so if the first bucket is a specialist, the second bucket these days is increasing with the DMRs, and because you see is a solution cell, then of course there's a ton of systems integrators and bars that also are involved in the advising of. Um, major corporations and government departments and how to change the way they've worked forever um, around the new space. So I think those are the buckets. It's the uh, headset specialists, the DMRs, and uh, then the bars and SIs. Yeah. And they, all, they all have their space. And, um, you know, we we pride ourselves in working very, very closely with all of them. None of this would work, by the way, unless we had, hadn't done an enormous amount of work with the what we call strategic alliances, so the guys who make the platforms, the Cisco's and Microsoft's of this world. And I think that's why we're probably leading, even in the US, which isn't our home turf, right? We're a Danish company. Um, there's, there's a big guy in California that you may have heard of who works in this space as well. Um, but, you know, we're leading in the UC space because we worked with the Cisco's and Microsoft before anybody else did, and we made all of our headsets and our... Uh, our other audio inputs, our speakers, completely compatible with their platforms from the get-go. And that was another reason which enabled us, of course, to make the change when we made it, right, back sure. in the day, as it were, back in the early days of this. Sure. Um, but I think we need we need broad distribution that is that has the same skill set and passion for this space as we do so they have to have a focus on it as well and the buckets of resellers tend to be the specialist DMRs. It, it is interesting as um we're both obviously transplants here um as the audience already knows i'm down in austin texas you're over in atlanta but uh, or or in boston as you are today it's interesting to me that the dmrs have a kind of an inside out sales model and the si's and the headset suppliers that you talked about have an outside in model and both seem to work and to me at least that's really confusing but it's kind of interesting to examine how the business model can be utterly different and the results can be very similar it's kind of an interesting um an interesting step now one of the other things you talked about is your relationships with the suppliers right with the with the manufacturers of the actual ucc solutions because you are a and this isn't to denigrate your position but you're a an add-on to. No one starts with you and then says, right, now let's find a communications tool to work with. Right, They work the other way around, um, as do many great companies in this space. So your top partners are people like who? Microsoft um, for, for Skype for Business and things like um, Cisco and the telephony suppliers. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, so if you look at that, it's Microsoft, Cisco, um, Avaya, Mitel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to see UCC increasingly as a, a soft play, if you like. I think it's a client play. I think it's something that brings everything together on my on my device of choice, whether it's a tablet, a PC I'm speaking to on now, or my cell phone or something, right? So, I, you know, I see more and more and more requiring the audio endpoint as the key part so uh, of, of completing the solution whether it's a speaker or a headset um but those are absolutely our key partners you know microsoft cisco the the pbx the ipppx uh, uh, um, environment um, etc um 
Yep, yep. And we have a really good relationship with all of them. I can see it changing. I started my life um, um, after my, my initial job after university. I went to work for a PBX manufacturer back in the UK. And, you know, still some of those names are still around, right? You know, Avaya wasn't Avaya back then, but it was, we can trace it back to then. We can trace Mitel back to then as well, right? So I can see the way they went from uh, public switch telephony into the IP world. And now even they're having to look at how they change what they do to take advantage I was with somebody, a customer yesterday, and <clears throat> I was saying, I was asking the question because I'm new to this and I like to learn. So what, what happens to IPPBX space? And um, the, the customer said, um, he doesn't really know other than they have a ton of customers who need stuff from them, they need solutions from these guys, and there's going to be an evolution of what they do. But they're great partners of ours as well, of course. Sure. I think what they have to do has to what what they do has to evolve over time. Well, it's in, I mean, for me, a lot of my work is on helping partner, helping companies, uh, normally manufacturers or resellers or distribution, move their business models from boxes-based business models, PBXs in the basement, as it were, uh, as one example of it, to cloud-based business models, and that revolutionises the business for the resellers and for distribution and for the manufacturers. In some senses, from a technical point of view, most for the manufacturers, and from a business point of view, business plan point of view, most for the resellers. But however you cut that cake, however you supply the technology, whether it's a, a basement device and you sit there and you you, um, you atomize it over five years, or it's a cloud service that you provide over the next N years on a monthly basis, you still need to be able to talk to someone on something. And it surprised me how long it's taken for this market to, to move from having a headset to talk on your phone using, you know, for a video conferencing client. And then you've got a box, four and a half pound plastic box on your desk for making your phone calls. And then you've got a wireless headset for making calls on your, on your, uh, on your cell phone. It's like, hang on. Why, why don't I just have one device? Plainly, you would say, and I have no objection to you saying Jabra. The answer to that is Jabra. Um, that makes sense. Why not just have one device and then all of them talk? It doesn't seem like that would be a very special idea. A friend of mine back in the UK came to visit a little while ago, and he works for one of the major banks in in uh, in the UK, one of the big international banks in the city of London. And um, he was saying he's he gets to work from home a day or two a week, and you know, you know how the world's working in, in that respect. And he has a Jabra ninety four seventy. And uh, because we'd just done this, it was just as I was starting here, actually, and so it was one of those serendipitous moments. He said, so let me tell you, he says, we have the client on the PC. I take my PC home and I take my um, 9450, 9470, whatever device he had. And he said, if I, and he lives in a three-story house, he said, so I'm on a, I don't know, whatever they use, um, a, a Jabra, a Skype for business conversation. And I can walk up and down the house with this headset on and my mobile phone rings and it tells me in my ear, do I want to connect to my mobile phone and take that call and put the other one on hold wherever I am in my house and I can do that. And he said, if the home phone rings, it's also plugged into that. And if, if, if I want to take that, it will tell me that as well. So, you know, and, and I would go, I said, really, just all that? He said, it does all of that and it's light and it's easy to wear and the quality is amazing, right? So... I think that was, you know, again, that's very anecdotal, but true. It was a story where the guy said, look, 
we have made this change. So when I'm working from home, I don't even need to be in front of the screen uh, to be completely and utterly connected to every device that might try to contact me from one headset. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, and I think that's a, a good it was word, illustration of what I think you were just trying to describe. Right. That's exactly it. But like we were talking about earlier, it's rather surprising that everyone didn't go, well, yeah, we'll do that. I mean, because everyone hasn't done that yet. There's still an awful lot of desk phones and, and earpieces and headsets, says the man who's looking at his iPhone and his deck phone and has a headset on for doing this podcast. So it's kind of, you are painting in an interesting space. Um, so let me ask you a question here about Jabra, right? You're, you're painting not the only player in this market. And Let's take it as red. You have fantastic products. You do have fantastic products. Uh, but why would someone want to look at Jabra rather than some of those other companies that are out there doing these things, which are also fine companies, I'm sure? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair to say. The you know, the two or three real big players in this market. I think you know, if we look at a worldwide level, we're uh, a relatively close number two to another guy, but we're a long, long way ahead of the number three. So we're a very major player in the market without being the biggest player. I think, though, to answer your question, it's a really good question. Again, when you join a company, you ask all the things about the company, don't you? Is it, are the people any good? Are the reputation any good? Are they good people to do business with? Are the products any good? Um, and one of the first things I did when joining it, I went and spent some time riding along, as they call it, in America with my customer services colleagues um, who, who take the calls from our end customers. I just described with this kind of uh, evangelical passion about how I think this is the way to work. Now, if I agree with that, and if somebody's in a bank or in a call center or somewhere, um, and their headset, they can't get their headset to work, then they're going to be pretty ticked off, right? Because I've taken their desk phone away from them. It's really the only way they can communicate with the world. So they call um, uh, our specialist center here in Lowell, Massachusetts. And I rode along with those guys. And we, we won't let a customer service agent get on the phone with an end customer. Remember these are some of the biggest banks, auto manufacturers, uh, some of the biggest uh, petrochem companies, pharma companies in the whole world, some of the world's most prestigious companies. We won't let a, an agent get on the phone with somebody for three months. right? We, we train them riding along for three months because we want them to be experts in every single product. And you know this space, Sam, right? Somebody like a Jabra will have hundreds of SKUs. Right? We'll have... I don't know, 20 different varieties of every headset, and we've probably got 10, 15, 20. And so the, these guys have got to know a lot. So I rode along with them um, to listen to how they, first of all, they're incredibly calm, unbelievably knowledgeable, and just under 90% of the time, one call is enough to get something fixed on the phone because it's often just a user thing, right? But the depth of level of knowledge that these guys go through with these end users is like I've never seen, I've been doing this since uh, since the world was young, right? Um, and if we then asked our customers how satisfied we were there, 92, 93% of them are always very, very satisfied. So uh, I think you've got to, uh, that sounds old fashioned in this modern world, right? Because we honestly, we won't let somebody on the phone for three months, right? We, we want them to be experts at what we do. And then they stay doing that job for years. 
until they get better and better and better at it. So um, it means that we have very, we don't lose customers, knock on wood. We don't lose customers because in, we, we combine this new way of working with a very old-fashioned, if you like to use that expression, um, desire to want to look after them, make it right. Which is actually, let's be honest, a pretty rare experience these days. Too many companies, in my experience, in use in all of technology, play the minimal viable product game, which is the moment it's good enough that someone's actually prepared to pay you some money for it, then get it out the door. The, the whole idea that you're going to have 90 plus percent you know, success rate in the first call, it's not only an anathema to that boosters model, but it's also not even, as far as they're concerned, a desirable business plan. But, but I have to say, I'm with you. This whole idea, that old horrible four and a half pound plastic box on your desk, one thing it was above all else was reliable. That's for sure. I remember telecoms managers saying to me 10 years ago in the city of London, as an example, oh, they'll never get rid of us with VoIP because they can't do five nines reliability like we can. The fact that if the bank's internet connectivity went down, it didn't really matter if the phones worked, it kind of passed them by. And then the IT stuff got good enough that the telephony then went over IP and suddenly they all retired. And I think we're in an interesting world that you need to have UC specifically, but all of telecoms has to be as reliable as what people are already experiencing, because if they're not, they'll reject it. Uh, video conferencing was a good example of that. People would always claim that video conferencing was very unreliable, and that's what they, why they wouldn't use it. And in fact, it wasn't true. We, we did surveys of this in the days when it was somewhat nervous as to whether it really was reliable or not. Now it is. But even 10 years ago, we proved that it was 98, 99% at the time. It worked fine. But people were looking for an excuse to go back to an old way of working. So I think your model of having it so that it works faultlessly almost every single time you possibly could is vital because otherwise people will retreat to that four and a half pound box. They absolutely will. That that means that gets in in the way of the growth of our business over time. So it's a good investment for us, but it is, it's an unusual investment, I've got to tell you. But what it does is shows you the level of attention to detail that Java is prepared to make in different parts of the business. If you were to go to our headquarters in Copenhagen and look at the labs where these products are developed and the level of quality that goes into all of our products, whether it's hearing aids or measurement devices or, or, or speakers or headsets, um, it's it's real, you know. It's real good attention to detail, quality, and we take that through um, our customer service, and we also insist on it um, from our commercial interface as well. We don't cut corners. We take difficult conversations, um, and um, we do things hopefully the right way. It's not always the cheapest way. In fact, it's almost always not the cheapest way. Um, but I think it's the most sustainable way, and it's. Um, you know, we, we, we do that in everything we do. So I think that's probably the answer to your question because we make great products and so do the other guys, right? But, you know, I think in terms of um, our customers speaking for us, we don't lose customers. They're very, very happy. We had an example of a customer recently where um, the headset wasn't working with the, de- with the devices they wanted in the way that they wanted it. So we replaced all of those headsets with, headsets that did. Now, they were headsets they bought and chosen from us, right? But then we did the analysis and said, actually, no, that's never going to work because of a technical issue. Um, and we replaced them all with the right headset. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
cost us a lot of money, but just happy in that customer places repeat business with us. So we're prepared to do things the right way. Um, and it's something that I find incredibly refreshing because it's, um, you know, it, 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 in, in the round, on the whole, it builds a very good sustainable business that we're all about being here for another hundred and some years, right? So we've been sure. here for 40, so why not? And our business will evolve over time and change, of course it will. But um, if, you've got, if you've got the right foundations for your business, it, it'll change, but it'll stay around. Well, look, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you want to ask or talk about or tell our audience before we let you go? No, I just, um, of course, um, you know, we we need the Ingram um, world to go and evangelize UCC like we do, bring on the right partners, sell the right um, uh, solutions and you know, when they're thinking about world-class audio endpoints, think about Java and also think about that's the bit that's going to make that application stick. If that application sticks, you'll get worldwide rollouts of these of these applications and um, you'll get repeat business forever and a day because this stuff ain't going away anytime soon. Ask the kids. <laughs> on that note, Paul Hammett, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, Everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. We'd love some feedback and we'll see you again next week. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Our email address is uccinfo at ingrammicro.com and follow us on Twitter at ingrammicroinc.com.